The F Word at Work from Fertility Matters at Work is a conversation about fertility and how it affects people at work. You'll be hearing conversations from our community about what they experience when trying to build their families, as our aim is to help you better understand this issue by sharing these stories, along with our own insights from the work we are doing. Plus, we'll be talking to the organisations making these cultural changes the norm, as well as bringing you thought leaders from the workplace wellbeing space. It's the cultural and social response to any infertility issues, miscarriage, menopause, endometriosis, and recognising that employees are diverse, they have unique needs. If you have an organisation structure that's an open culture that supports all diverse needs, that's the first step. It's recognising that male and female reproductive health is different. There's different needs for men and for women and for transgender men, transgender women, and all the identities in between, the different needs. And so the overarching policies coupled with management training and education on an inclusion in the workforce. So welcome once again to another episode of The F Word at Work. And what you are about to hear is the first of three conversations so this is like one big episode but I've split it into three just to give you the time to listen to it because in its total it's an hour and a half so we've broken it down into three 30-minute sections so what we're actually sharing with you is the audio from a roundtable event we held here at Fertility Matters at Work which was a Zoom event that we invited a whole host of people, predominantly HR, well-being leads, people who are in diversity and inclusion roles to highlight the various issues that exist in fertility when it comes to diversity and inclusion. You're going to hear the recording. I'm delighted to say that I have one of our co-founders, Claire, with me. Becky was with me for the actual event. Claire wasn't able to join. So she is here to give her thoughts. Jerry Springer style, I've asked. I know, Claire, that you were disappointed that we couldn't work it into your diary. It was a bit of poor planning on our part because we had to move the date. And I know that the DNI conversation in fertility is very close to your heart, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I was gutted, but you know, we'll do we'll be doing more on that, so it'll be fine. Well, this is it. We will be doing more because as you're gonna hear, we had an unbelievable amount of people sign up and we've had a really amazing response to the content that we shared. We're gonna launch straight in and then I'm gonna join Claire again to get her thoughts because you've got quite a lot to get through. I'd love it, we'd love it if you listen to all three, but if you only listen to one section. You'll, you'll get a good overview because we keep referring to the different areas that we're talking to. So we hope you enjoy. Now, before we get into this episode, we just want to say a big thank you to our sponsors for this series, Apricity, which is next generation fertility. And Apricity has a unique virtual model that uses AI innovation and technology to reimagine fertility care. Now to explain that, the technology Apricity use is through their virtual models, so they have virtual consultations, and specifically their bespoke treatment app really guides and supports patients and their partners through their journey, so they never miss an injection. They have instant access to their medical team and a dedicated advisor seven days a week. Apricity offers family building benefits to employers, health plans, and individual patients 
And this goes from diagnostic testing to full fertility management, including medical treatments such as IVF, egg donation and egg freezing. Apricity helps build families by providing access to the best doctors, technology and unlimited support. Now, the Apricity Fertility Benefit can be bespoke, designed for your company, for either flexi benefit, cash allowance or through your PMI. And you can discover how Apricity can support your employees just by visiting apricity.life. So welcome. Thank you for dedicating the time to join us for this much needed and important conversation that we're having today with over 350 signups. Now we know that this is a discussion that is much needed and we want to talk about where diversity and inclusion fits within the fertility conversation. That's what we're here to show you today. Many may assume that when we talk about fertility, we're talking about heterosexual women not helped by the narrative in the media, when in fact this is only half the story. And our aim for today is to open your mind and introduce you to the many nuances within this conversation and the impact it can have regardless of gender, identification, sexual orientation or ethnicity. So to introduce ourselves, my name is Natalie Silverman. My pronouns are she, her. I'm one of three co-founders of Fertility Matters at Work. I'm a former broadcaster and I'm a podcaster. And having had fertility treatment for my son eight years ago, I launched the Fertility Podcast to educate and empower people struggling to start or complete their families. I've learned so much about the many challenges that have to be overcome, the assumptions made within the workplace and society, and the need for constant awareness raising of the impact that this has on people. Giving them a voice has been a privilege, and as is the work that we're doing today at Fertility Matters at Work, to help people feel more supported at work. And to do it with my two co-founders, who are some of the most dedicated people I've met, is a pleasure. Claire Ingle is an HR professional and a mum of one after fertility treatment. Claire sadly can't join us today, but I'm going to hand over to my other co-founder, Becky, to tell you more about herself. Hi everyone, um, so I'm Becky Kearns, my pronouns are she, her, and I'm another co-founder of Fertility Matters at Work. I'm a HR professional and I'm also a former patient and it was seven years ago that I went through my own fertility journey and which ultimately led me to having my three girls through egg donation. And I found that even as a cis female in a heterosexual relationship, I felt so alone when going through this and I now realise that other communities who are less outspoken or visible than my own would probably be feeling even less representative in the narrative we have around fertility. And we know that this affects one in six couples, one in seven individuals, and that the World Health Organisation defines infertility as a disease of the reproductive system. And as you will hear, fertility treatment is also needed for social reasons. And as such, it is a necessary medical treatment to enable people to have a child not a simple lifestyle choice as it can be portrayed and sometimes viewed. And for many, this is the only way for people to have the chance of having a child. And it's also important to be aware that it isn't a guarantee. And in fact, the Childless Not By Choice community are another part of this awareness raising exercise that are often misrepresented and misunderstood in the workplace. Unfortunately, today we've not got time to fully explain in depth the physical and emotional toll of fertility treatment. However, we have covered this in our previous webinars and lunch and learn sessions, which you can find on our website at fertilitymattersatwork.com within the resource section. And today we're focusing on diversity and inclusion in fertility. By diversity, we want you to understand how many different people are impacted in different ways and for you to have an understanding of the communities who are impacted. 
And by inclusion, we want you to start thinking about how you can ensure that any support you put in place for fertility is inclusive in both language and action. And it's about understanding your people and communities and how to create sustainable positive change that will represent and benefit those communities going forwards. For example, we've recently been working with supporting intended parents on their surrogacy journeys who have come up against challenges in their own workplaces in simply filling out forms for adoption leave and being told, just make the form work for you when it doesn't even represent or apply to them. And the fact that you've given your time to come along today shows your positive intention to understand this issue and make a difference. So thank you so much. And we're here to help you. Now, at the end of this webinar, we hope you will go away with a better understanding of the breadth and impact of fertility issues and safe in the knowledge that you have an ally in us here at Fertility Matters at Work to guide you on the best way to support all of those impacted. This is a roundtable discussion with a wide variety of speakers who have generously given their time. We're only touching the surface. There's so much to say, but we hope it will give you enough to go away and start making positive change within your organisation, whether that be within policies, building internal support networks, or awareness raising activities. So we're going to get started with the focus on reproductive health and well-being and our first topic discusses what is typically thought of when we talk about the topic of fertility and the impact to cis women. Thank you Natalie. So first we're going to be joined by Emma and Lena as we talk about integrating fertility into your well-being strategy and the importance of supporting and empowering employees throughout their reproductive journey. So I'd like to welcome Emma Lassand who is the director of Lima Health Emma is a qualified nurse and workplace health and wellbeing professional, and also Lena Chan, who is the CEO and founder of Parlor, which is a digital health company supporting people on their reproductive life journeys. And we know that cis women and anyone with a uterus are the ones who are predominantly affected by the physical side of treatment. They need to be present at all appointments, they're affected by the medication side effects, and quite often can be all consumed by the process. And this comes alongside other challenges that they may face, things such as the glass ceiling, the gender pay gap, and as you may have seen recently in the media, recent campaigning for equal rights with the March of the Mummies that happened recently. And we want to highlight here that there isn't just an impact to careers after children are born, but also for those that face struggles to have children in the first place too. And so I want to start with Emma and, and talk to you a, a little bit about where do we even start when introducing this topic with the focus being on women's reproductive well-being, Emma? So um, this is the work that I do with organisations and it's treating sexual and reproductive health issues, the life course of a woman, on the same par as physical and mental health issues in the workplace. So 10 years ago, I was um, an expert on stress and that was a time you couldn't talk about mental health in work and you certainly didn't speak to your manager and look where we are now. So we're on that journey, if you like, and you both mentioned it at the beginning that it's the biological issues that come, but it's actually the social and cultural impact that we need to manage in the workplace. And it's the cultural and social response to any infertility issues, miscarriage, menopause, endometriosis, and recognising that employees are diverse. They have unique needs. If you have an organisation structure that's an open culture that supports all diverse needs, that's the first step. It's recognising that male and female reproductive health is different. There's different needs for men and for women and for transgender men, transgender women 
and all the identities in between with different needs. And so the overarching policies coupled with management training and education on an inclusion in the workforce. Thank you. And, and what do you see as the, the common challenges for organisations when they're looking at their reproductive health and well-being and, and thinking about fertility in the workplace? The common challenge for everyone is to normalise this conversation because the fact that we're having we have to do this are very natural life course events, but we have to have niche events, if you like, to normalise it. So the challenge for every organisation is how do you do it? Where do you start? You know, does it start, come from top down, bottom up? But actually, the first step is acknowledging there are differences that um, if you want to retain and support your staff, you have to acknowledge the cultural and social aspects that comes with being a woman or being a man. So the challenges for everyone is to start normalising this, that it's not taboo and it's education awareness sessions um, and just acknowledging it straight away that this is a difficult topic. We're all going to get it wrong and right. We're on a journey. We're all learning and we can learn from each other on this webinar. Thank you, Emma. And Lena, thinking about pregnancy and baby loss in particular, which I know you speak a lot about, what do organisations need to better understand when we think of that topic as well? I think two things. I think one is we really don't realise how many people get affected by pregnancy loss, not just the person who's experiencing it physically, but then her support system, her family. So a lot of those people, it has a bit of a knock-on effect and they can bring it to work. I think we also just really underestimate how big the impact is on our emotional well-being. A very recent study that was only released about last year showed that about 70 to 80 percent of women go on to experience um, some form of PTSD symptom even after one pregnancy loss. So it needs to be a topic that's talked about a lot more. And I think pregnancy loss, it's a very kind of disenfranchised grief because you don't, you don't have something to show. It's not, you know, and there are rights and there are policies in place for when you actually have a baby or after 24 weeks of pregnancy when it's recognized as a baby. But a lot of pregnancy loss actually happens at the very early weeks of pregnancy. And yet a woman has gone through many of the symptoms of what she would have experienced in a normal pregnancy. So there is a huge gap. I kind of see it as a big crack on the floor that all these women kind of, you know, fall into. And there's very, very little policies in place to help them generally, and especially in the workplace. And going back to all the things that Emma said, it's a really taboo topic. And now, especially if we look at the trends and when people are having children, it tends to be later in their careers, um, which means the risks are higher. And also you are losing people when they're very kind of, you know, quote unquote, productive or quite senior in the organization. So we really need to start opening up those conversations, having things in place to support those who go through pregnancy loss. Yeah. And what would you like to see in workplaces, Lena, to support them? What would you like to see happening? We are starting to see some change, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, I think three things. I think the first one, what Emma said, is taboo breaking. So I think, um, and that needs to start at the very, very top, is really kind of putting in place a culture that you feel like you can show up, you can be vulnerable, you can talk about anything, it doesn't have to be just pregnancy loss. I actually think that it's a broader culture because it's harder to say, okay, well, let's just really talk about pregnancy loss or just infertility. It's really like you might be struggling with not just one thing, like a lot of these are all interconnected. So a culture that's a lot more open that employees can come and feel like they can speak about that. We've done a really big research asking employees what they thought was going to be the biggest benefit. And I think one really big one was flexibility. So whether that's in terms of additional paydays or being able to have a kind of transition back to work that's a little easier or a space for them to kind of tap in and tap out of work. 
So I think awareness, flexibility, and the third is just kind of ongoing support, really recognizing that this can really affect you emotionally and the way you show up at work. Um, so just giving flexibility, but then not giving any support is, is very hard. So it's kind of like these three prong pillars that I think are very, very important. Yeah. And that's what we talk about often around the, there's a real kind of intersect between mental health um, when it comes to this topic. And so you can put a policy in place and with all the great intentions, but if there's not the culture around the policy to enable people to feel able to talk about it, then it's not going to make that difference. And so it's just coming to you, Emma, what are you seeing? And I'm just thinking in terms of the menopause conversation that's happened and, and how things have moved, what have you seen change and benefit businesses as well when they're starting to talk about these taboo topics? So menopause, as we all know, is it's got quite a high profile at the moment. And the benefits of it are that women are becoming more and more empowered to be themselves, like what Lena was saying, and are being able to talk about they may be having a difficult time or they're not having a difficult time, they're saving through it, but it's just normalizing the whole experience. And the benefit is seeing the same as physical and mental health agendas. So we're all on a spectrum all the time of everything. And sometimes, when we fall down on this bit of the spectrum, we might need some support, physical, mental or reproductive health. And having the um, open culture and the support networks there for those people that fall off will help retain them. And I think businesses are beginning to understand that the more you put in more support, that the less likely for attrition costs, better engagement, better productivity, more inclusive. Your people will want to come and work for you because you're looking after their whole needs, not just as a worker nine to five. So bringing menopause into the into the workplace and bring it's a woman's issue traditionally, but it isn't, as we all know, the same as fertility. It's not. It affects partners, life, kids. Bringing that in and it becoming normalised surely will hopefully open the door to normalise the whole life course of a woman and let have a look because we have different health needs. And once we recognise that, you know, it, it is getting better. Yeah, definitely. And, and we're starting to see that now. And obviously the, the Fertility Workplace Pledge was launched last week in Parliament. And, and that focuses on all of the things that you talked about, Lena, in terms of accessible information having that flexibility but having support around people as well and I think it's so important when we talk about these topics and we in particular at Fertility Matters at Work we hear from women in particular all of the time who are talking about how it has impacted their careers in having to go through this either they've they've not gone for a particular promotion or they've left a particular job because it's been too hard and they've not felt able to talk about it so when we think about all of these challenges that women are facing putting these things in place and saying look, we recognize this is a life event that people go through can make such a difference and just to to finally kind of finish off this this section and again we are literally touching the surface here there's so much more to talk about um, and I could talk for days on this um what would your advice be to organizations who are who are here now listening and thinking right we've got nothing in place at the minute where do we even start so Emma if I just come to you first and then I'll come to you Lena so they just want to do something yes. yeah they want to start so, introducing this they want to start so I ask your employees I would start and saying what would you like what would you like what would benefit you because there's different demographics in the workplace isn't there if you're a nurse you can't have a lot of flexibility you can't work from home and traditionally women are in occupations where there isn't a lot of flexibility so social care so what would benefit them what would help and I would ask them and I'd start from that and I would also then start to incorporate the, the structure that, that would support that 
Yeah, and we often hear of employees who are leading this and actually speaking to them that yeah. you may have people within your organization who have been through this themselves who have a real passion for wanting to make a change and drive this and we were with an organization just last week who their whole policy and guidance have been put in place by somebody not in a senior position but someone who had no. been through this and just reading the policy um, it felt like they really understood and it was living it was breathing it was something different about it so I completely agree like involve people who want to get involved with this because often these sort of experiences make you want to do more and Lena anything else you would advise? Yeah, I'd say two things. I think awareness and training, because I think a lot of it starts at the very, very top. So, and I loved what you just said, because that's what I was going to say. I think find champions, find champions in the organization that can really help build that awareness, because I think the more you can build on awareness, it starts to kind of put the foundation of change in culture. And then invest in training, but the training at the very high level of managers, because there's a lot of research that shows that employee engagement, employee happiness tend to be highly linked with their relationship with their managers. So, and it's a smaller pool to kind of initially work with, but train those managers, train those managers in having, how to have an open conversation, how to approach taboo topics. Like often, I think we, we think that a lot of managers want to go in and already start giving advice, but actually some of the best thing you do is just literally have very open-ended questions. Um, so I'd say those two things are kind of bite sizes and it really, kind of can affect culture and then it has a very positive ripple effect yeah absolutely and um, I think when you were talking about getting people to share as well I think that's so important in terms of bringing it to life through shared stories and that's what we we do within fertility matters at work we try and really bring this topic to life because you need that conversation and everything that you've just mentioned there it is such a vast topic and you might come away today thinking oh where do I even start there's so much to cover and so much to think about that's where we're all here to support you so we at fertility matters at work we have got this network of amazing speakers that you'll see today who can specialize in these different areas and so we can really help bring it to life but I'm just going to hand over to Natalie now who's going to take you through the next section. Before we do, we were slightly ahead of time and I've got a question for you, Emma, that I'm going to go off script and ask you now while it's fresh <laughs> in your head. Um, Sean says, we have a health and wellbeing policy where we focus on the four pillars, physical, mental health, social and financial. Based on what you've said, Emma, would we be including reproductive health as a fifth pillar? Absolutely. Yeah, because what we've all just said today, you can't ignore sexual and reproductive health an organization's employee health and well-being strategy because you're ignoring a vast aspect of what a woman is or and when you look at the life course of a woman and if you've got a leaky pipe of your career where you're going to fall out of your career there are lots of aspects that you can plug in that leaky pipe to support that woman to, so she becomes she stays in her job or rises up for promotion whatever she wants to do and it so it starts with looking at the life course and where where are the gaps where women will fall through because there's nothing there to support them endometriosis menopause fertility miscarriage lots of them and the mental health aspect of that we will all feed into the physical and mental health strands because more women die of heart attacks than men so when you start to unpin all that and look at it as from a gender lens if you like gender sensitive lens you will need that your house is doing that because you've not got that fifth pillar I'd actually say those pillars, a lot of them all feed into think about fertility as well. I think the financial one as well was something we always talk about, the financial impact of going through fertility treatment on people. So there are so many different elements. And, and I think that's really important what you said about it having its own pillar so that all of those things can be addressed, but within the reproductive health journey. 
thank you so much thank you emma we're going to move on and i do ask if you want to put your questions at the end i will see if we can get them in as we go through so we're going to now welcome tom webb who is the director of the easy bit documentary and sean greenaway who is the founder of knackered knackers a male support platform both are former patients so welcome both to you we're going to be discussing the importance of including and empowering men within the fertility conversation with the focus being on the cis male experience here and the pressures from societal narratives leading to toxic masculinity and stigma so i'm going to start with you tom can you talk through why you feel that men often aren't recognized in the fertility conversation and the impact that this can have on them well, I mean, I think you nailed it in that first little intro there, that this concept of toxic masculinity and masculinity in general being this huge societal pressure and construct that really shouldn't exist. Like, you know, I think that a lot of the guys that I've spoken to, particularly the men that took part in the documentary, the, one of the most common defining factors were the fact that they felt emasculated and they also felt very alone because it wasn't something they could talk about it they didn't feel like they could express how they felt and you know a lot of the stuff the conversations they'd get into wouldn't even allow them the space to bring it up as a subject it doesn't just relate to infertility fertility treatment you know just mental health in general and i think you know over the last probably five or six years actually starting to see a bit of a change in that it's becoming much more acceptable to talk about mental health it's you know it's much more acceptable to talk about uh, fertility um which is a, a, a brilliant thing but i think there's still this real idea that fertility is a, a female issue and the men are just there to be the support role and you know that when my wife and i were going through it you know we would mention it and people would have a conversation with her and then say to me you know oh i hope you know hope you're looking after her and and that was kind of like that was i was seeing that was my job i was just there to support her whereas you know i was as emotionally invested in everything as much as she was see i think it's about recognizing that if you're going through fertility treatment it's a couple going through it and although the female partner might take on a lot of the physical attributes of that process you are still in it as a couple and the emotional burden is equal and i know you've spoken about how you felt literally in the clinic being overlooked in mm. the conversations do you want to just tell us a little bit about that yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you, I tried to get to every single appointment because I wanted to be there because I, I wanted to feel a part of it. But even there, you'd go into consultations and I'd be completely ignored. I would go into scans and, you know, if I pointed out something that I'd seen on the screen, I'd sort of be glared at as if I wasn't supposed to be in the room. Um, so you get very, very sidelined because you're not part of that physical process which you know i think is is wrong really and i think that's something that fertility clinics need to work on is having the couple as the patient it's a more holistic approach towards both partners and then that knock on to how it's treated in a workplace you know for example there is no reason that i should not be able to have time off work to go to one of my wife's scans because i'm a it's as much about me as it is her even though the physical aspect of that is isn't about me so i think it's about recognizing the couple as as a couple um really let's talk a bit more about that impact from the workplace and what it might have on men if you just feel that you can't ask 
Yeah, again, I think it's about, you know, there's this kind of societal barriers. You don't want to talk about it. You don't want to ask. You feel embarrassed, which I think it's really key. We've seen from studies and from all different types of support groups that men will talk about it if there's an element of anonymity, if they're able to feel anonymous or if it's peer to peer support rather than to professional. So I think there are ways in that you can utilize that by, you know, in the initial stages, creating a sense of anonymity and a freedom to talk when you don't feel like you're being judged. And I think that's really important for guys going through this situation because over time that will change and they'll feel more comfortable talking about it. And, you know, it will evolve over time and that comfort has to come, but it comes quite slowly. We've had a comment in from Daisy saying it's great to see some male voices here. And I think one thing that we're always really keen to highlight at Fertility Matters at Work is that we're always very adamant to show the vastness of this conversation and have all the different people who are affected by fertility struggles talking. Um, you mentioned the peer support there, Tom, and I'm going to move on to you, Sean. Um, just tell us about your experience at work and how being in a predominantly male environment affected your confidence in sharing your experience, if you will. Sure, yeah, good afternoon all. So to provide some context, I'm a police detective and at the time that I was going through the fertility struggles, which were all on my side uh, with male factor infertility, I was in a, a very highly masculine uh, driven unit. Not only did were you, were you deemed to be a very good detective to be there, you had to be a very good drinker, uh, very good with banter. So that all, I applied to go there and, and I was pleased to get there as a job, but then that all then... <laughs> came back on myself when suddenly I was thrust in this whole fertility sphere and which is something that bleeds into every aspect of your life and yes it's a, a very private issue but it was starting to affect me at work but I didn't feel that I could speak out about that because I felt that if I did I'd just be opening up myself to a whole world of, of Mickey taking and brunt of jokes and that's probably what it was proven to be when I did talk that it just isn't the case people are more sensitive than you give them credit for especially men but when you're going through male infertility and, and, and you've got the whole kind of all the shame and secrecy swirling around your head, the last thing you want to do is just try and is, is almost put yourself on offer. And I masked a lot of the initial appointments with annual leave because I, I knew that I was entitled to four hours in the public sector for dental appointments or doctor appointments. So I was using those where I could, but I had to get to the point where because they were becoming so regular that I'd start taking half days or start trying to do it around shifts if I was on a late shift for example trying to move appointments to the morning and it just got to the point where it was becoming too stressful to do that and this is something where you really need to reduce any stresses because the fertility treatment on its own it, it just needs every fiber of your energy and so it got to the point where I had to tell my, my managers and all three of whom were men or three of whom were proficient mickey takers but actually when I did so and I put it in email because they I think they knew that something was up it there was obviously the amount of medical appointments I did ask for time for it was quite clear that something was going on and I said look my wife and I have fertility issues but actually it's on my side and, and part of the reason why I had to do this is because I knew in 2019 I was going to have to have two operations and there was just simply going to be no way of I didn't have enough annual leave to take the recovery period for example for one of them yeah they, they were just great and they, they were so good to me that even now you know, I have, has, have since moved on I still speak to them and I would happily go and work for them again because of that support that they showed me. And it, obviously life's taking me in a different direction now. But yeah, I cannot emphasize enough that once you do open up to people and a good manager who really looks after you, you will go above and beyond for them. 
you've talked about being in your own head as being part of the problem and you're now working to support both of you are really to support men to talk more about this do you think that's part of the reluctance is being in your own head because of the societal narrative that we've just been talking about absolutely because shame it really thrives in secrecy and when you're in your own head it's not a good place to be because you play out scenarios which simply are most likely not going to happen for example when i said put myself out there just believing that i was just going to be ripped to pieces it didn't happen and you have to get out you have to talk and that's the only way I, I truly believe that it's the only way of truly healing is opening up and that was such a big leap for me i've done a lot of the work myself but then when i opened up it exponentially my, my own healing journey really pushed on and i want to bring um you back in tom and ask the both of you what advice you'd give people listening again that they should be thinking about as part of their diverse and inclusive well-being strategy when we're talking about the male experience I mean, I think uh, Sean just proved the point there of that sort of compassionate support. You know, it goes a long way. I know that I felt in a similar way that on the times when I didn't, I wasn't able to go, I had to go to work rather than go to think I was distracted. My head space wasn't right. I couldn't concentrate on what I was doing. And to be honest, I wasn't very effective and they would have been better off letting me have the time off and covering me with somebody else. But the times when I was supported, then it renewed my support back for the company like I would go further to help them back because they'd help me so you know I think I put a lot more in when I was getting more support. John is there anything you want to add there? Yeah sure um, and what Emma touched upon earlier is that how commonly mental health is now spoken about in the workplace and almost every toilet I go to there's a poster for it saying open up talk about it. it's okay but it's, it's having that messaging for all aspects that someone on the question earlier mentioned that the pillars absolutely having fertility as a fifth pillar knowing that that support's out there and having champions in the workplace i'm a i'm a well-being champion in my workplace for fertility specifically for males and and again to draw back on what tom said to having that peer-to-peer -peer support available is, is just invaluable because when people know that support's there they will just feel so much more comfortable and confident in coming forward at work and, and then that that faith is, and it's just it's reciprocated like the work back that you'll get thank you both I just wanted to add there, thank you so much. It's always so powerful hearing from men. And I, I've had conversations with people about this topic and everyone just assumes it's about women and it's not. It's about just as much about the partner where there is one. Um, and what I just wanted to pick up on there, Sean, you were talking about your experience and the difference that made for you in being supported. And, and what we really want is for that to be the norm, not that I was really lucky to have a great line manager. And I think that's really important when we're thinking about implementing this within organizations how can we make sure that this is something that happens across the board and that people can disclose that they're going through this in confidence knowing that it will be understood so it's about that training it's about that making sure that people are aware of what support is available the flexibility and and again Sean when you were talking about the absence that you took and you needed to take for appointments if you think about it from a business lens then there will be inevitably be absence when it comes to this um, when people are going through fertility treatment but being able to have a conversation there's an element of it being a bit more planned than we know that almost 70 percent of people took sick leave whilst they were going through this and and that's much harder for a business to to work around and to plan around and so there's so much benefit to having these conversations and I just want to say thank you to you both for for sharing because it is such a refreshing so refreshing to have men talking about this it's a pleasure thanks for having us
You're more than welcome. Thank you. Whenever we share men's stories, we always get really positive feedback from people just saying thank you because men are so underrepresented in this conversation. It's one of our reasons. It's a big part of when I was making the fertility podcast, what I was keen to share. Personally, both you and I have experienced male factor as our mm-hmm. diagnosis and have mm-hmm. been on the other side of how that feels as a, as a cis woman in a heterosexual relationship, dealing with that and what that means and how that impacts a relationship. That male conversation is still underrepresented, isn't it? Yeah, and it's it's really nice to hear from both Sean and Tom because they are voices that aren't heard that often. And I think there's still a social narrative around men not being involved in anything to do with the fertility space or any of those emotions that they've both described. It's very important that they do get recognised, even if they're in, you know, male, same-sex couple, male, solo, parenthood, or in a heterosexual couple. I think that it's bringing that voice to the table. Especially when we're talking about gay men who might not have had any reason to test their fertility. Because we know from some of our friends who have talked about that naive confidence that there wouldn't be any issue. And then going into fertility treatment, be it for a surrogacy journey, that then there could be some issues and they have to be processed and dealt with. And there's a whole load of emotions linked to that conversation too, which is why we always want to make sure that that voice is heard. There's a lot of narrative more so now than ever before around men's mental health and I think fertility is still that forgotten topic that people don't talk about because men are seen as you know the virile ones the ones that create life etc and I think when when people are diagnosed like Sean's diagnosis of mumps that, that caused his infertility you know that must have been utterly devastating and he does describe that not just in this conversation but in previous conversations we've had but we still seem to skip over it which mm. which seems totally bizarre to me but it, it, you know like I said it's great to hear them talk about it and actually put that as a as an agenda topic and obviously before that we were talking about cis women's issues talking about pregnancy loss and we've heard more discussion We've heard more Mm. companies look into and implement pregnancy loss policies, baby loss policies. There's Baby Loss Awareness Week. More organisations, we're certainly hearing, are are, are thinking about this. And they're also appreciating the impact it has on partners, whether they are same-sex or or male. So it feels that that conversation is a bit further ahead than the men on their own conversation, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. There's definitely some movement on the male entering the conversation now but I I still think you know when I've been watching the news recently you know when fertility is talked about it's it's gendered as female we hear it often that women and fertility women and this and women and that and actually that's that's not the case because males are potentially half of that partnership and sometimes the um, infertility factor lies with them. Well what we're going to do is um, leave it there The next section, part two, I do hope you'll listen to because we're going to be talking about more alternative routes to parenthood, exploring the LGBTQ plus conversation. If you want to find out more about what we do at Fertility Matters at Work, just visit our website, fertilitymattersatwork.com, where we've got a whole host of things for you to discover about us. We've got free resources. And one thing that we're going to be sharing in the show notes for this episode is a link to a video that takes you on a 30-minute demo of our services. And it's been done brilliantly, if I do say so myself, by moi and uh, Becky, the third of the trio here at Fertility Matters at Work. So if you're wondering how on earth we help you become fertility-friendly accredited, that is a brilliant place for you to get a real overview and then you can get in touch with us via the website but I'll put the link in the show notes too so 
ideally come and join us again and if you've liked what you've listened to do rate and review it and if you can subscribe and share even better but come and join us for part two do follow us on our socials at Fertility Matters at Work on Instagram and LinkedIn. It's where we share the free events that we have, as well as survey findings and lots of interesting conversations from our community. We're at Fert Matters Work on Twitter. Plus, we've got loads of free resources at fertilitymattersatwork.com. If from what we've shared with you, you feel ready to talk more about how your organisation can become fertility friendly, do book a call via the website link. It will be great to hear from you. 